If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than 4 billion in company approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello and welcome back to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Kate Clark and I'm joined again this week with Crunchbase News' Alex Wilhelm. Hello, Kate. Good to be back in the studio. Welcome back. It's just Alex and I this week and we have a lot of news to get through. So we're just going to start off by doing a rapid fire um, overview of some of the stuff we're not going to go as deep on. Alex, start us off with a firm. Yeah. So if you haven't heard about a firm, it's a company that was, I believe, co-founded or founded by Max Levchin, who is most famous for being part of the PayPal Mafia, which is the group of people that left PayPal and did very well since then. Um, you know all them by name. But what's cool about Affirm is they raised, according to Axios, a $300 million round at what Axios claims is a $2.9 billion post-money valuation. And this raised my interest because I couldn't recall how much money they raised to date, and I couldn't tell if $300 million was a lot or not a lot. So according to the math that I've done, and of course, fact check me, please, they have raised before this $620 million in equity funding and $100 million in debt. So it's a lot of money they put on their balance sheet, but they do run a consumer credit thing, so they probably need a lot of capital around. Um, but it's another endorsement of what Max is up to and the Affirm team, and I thought it was a, a notable moment in the week's venture capital landscape. Uh, speaking of which, uh, ClearBank with no K is also in the news. Kate, what is going on with our friends over there? Yes, ClearBank with a C um, has. This is a startup that uh, wants to provide other startups alternative ways of raising capital to scale their businesses that don't eat up equity. So, of course, you all know um, when you raise a VC round, you lose equity. So, a lot of these companies, when they eventually get to the IPO stage, they don't own much of their company. So, ClearBank's has this idea that if they fund startups, particularly those in the e-commerce spaces that spend a lot of money on ad spend, if they fund them with this non-dilutive capital, then when they do go public, they'll own a lot of their company. So this week, they launched a um, campaign called the 20-Minute Term Sheet. Um, and they said- <laughs> name. it is It is a good name. It's catchy. They said they're going to fund 2,000 e-commerce businesses with a billion dollars in 2019. And just want to clarify one thing. I was really curious as to how they got that much money so fast. They don't have all that money. Like- just sitting in a in a pile in their offices. They because they like recycle and deploy capital because they do these revenue share. Yeah. They're going to have a billion dollars throughout the year but they don't have a pool of a billion dollars. Okay, so this works out like I'm an e-commerce business. I spend a bunch of money on Google Ads or Facebook Ads or whatever. I don't want to use money that I raise by some equity on that. I raise money from ClearBank and then I pay them back as part of a rev share like a breakdown, I presume. Right, exactly. So you pay them back 106% and then they take a, p- a portion of your revenues every single month. And that, sure. the, the portion depends on how much money they've given you. And they give anywhere between, I think it's 10000 and um, $10 million. And they'll follow on. They'll continue investing in you if you're growing. As long as you have positive unit economics and positive ad spend, then you, you're greenlit. So they just use an algorithm essentially like looks at your revenue data, financial data, and then decides if your tra- trajectory is good. And that's that. The whole thing takes 20 minutes. You get your money within 48 hours. I wonder how they fact check the unit economics stuff. I'm very curious. I mean, I'm curious too. I think there's a lot of risk associated with what they're doing. And they sort of acknowledge, acknowledge that, but they were also like, well, we've, we did it 150 times last year and it's working out. So <laughs> I guess I'm just wrong then. Uh, well, we'll see. I would love to see the math behind that. Uh, but I do like the idea of giving companies a way to spend on ads and not spend equity financing to do yeah, that because it's so expensive. And also one thing that's kind of cool about it is like they're very excited about being co-investors with VC firms. So like if you are a startup raising $10 million, they'll give you $5 million. You can spend that on ad spend. You can mm-hmm. spend that on your Facebook and Google campaigns. 
then your equity funding that you still need, you can use that to scale in other ways. Right. So you can put the equity funding into paying your people and you can use the clear bank money to go ahead and fund your ad spend and you walk out a bit more efficient than you would have been taking a full equity check. A bit. Yeah. All okay. right. So um, let's see. Next thing. Rippling. What's up with them? Ah. So if you are in San Francisco, you have seen the billboards and the signs. If you are not, you have not. But Rippling is a company that raised, I have the numbers here, $45 million out this week. I believe it is a YC graduate. Yep. I really should have. Thank you, No, Kate. it is. It is. That's why I love having you on the show. Thank you for being here. Uh, and if you don't recall the name Parker Conrad, let us remind you, he was um, infamous, I believe, from the Zenefits early days in which they were growing like mad. Then Zenefits ran into some regulatory issues. There were also a bunch of culture issues. And Parker Conrad's name became, uh, you know, not great for a long period of time yeah. there. And now he's back. They've been working on this project for about two years. And according to TechCrunch.com, 40 engineers were working in stealth to build this out. And my understanding is that it's kind of single-click onboarding for new employees. Now, if you haven't ever hired people, you might not know how hard this is, but there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of details that go into that to get people onboarded, plugged into payroll, plugged into other systems. It's, 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 it takes ages. Yeah. I, I've heard just from a few conversations this week that there are a lot of investors that are really excited about this and who wanted to get in this company. So I think it's probably going to go places. Yeah. So Parker Conrad from, uh, from down to up to down to up. And uh, as I said on Twitter, tech is a flat circle yep. and everything comes around again. So here we have Parker Conrad <laughs> working in HR, raising a bunch of money and having a hot company because five <laughs> years ago wasn't enough. We're back. Uh, okay. Uh, and this actually brings us to um, a, a more fun category. So Femtech, Kate, what is going on and why is there $1 billion written down in our notes? You mean femtech? Because it sounded like you said fintech. I definitely meant femtech, but that actually may be a problem with the phrase and that we just discovered that. Anyways, femtech, femtech. what's going on? All right. So um, I was writing up yet another round in the femtech space because I follow it pretty closely. This time it was a organic tampons direct consumer startup. And I was looking into some data around femtech and I noticed that this year is already on pace to hit a billion dollars in venture capital funding for femtech, which is a huge deal because the record is 600 million or just above. And that was last year. So we're taking a huge leap forward this year, and that's just great to see. Is that a U.S. number or a global number? This is global. Okay. so, so But most activity in femtech is in the U.S. Right. So Not surprised about that. Yeah. But a billion dollars would be, that's two-thirds more than last year if it was secured right. to, a, to a billion. And I, I don't have the exact numbers memorized, but like in 2012, 2014, 2016, it was always never higher than maybe $220 million. So we're, we've, we're seeing significant growth very quickly, so it's nice to see that. Well, it turns out women have money and buy things. It does turn out that way. And, and investors are finally seeing like there's really big opportunities here. Was that the Cora round you were talking that about? That was. And yeah. there was also LV this week. And LV raised, LV's a breast pump startup. Mm -hmm. They raised $42 million. And they claimed that at the time in their press release, they claimed that was the largest ever round for Femtech. I don't actually think that's true, but it's definitely top five. This was the no noise pumping startup. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big point of discussion on our back channel. We have a bunch of moms on the Crunchbase news team and they were like, where was this? Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously a big market for that. Definitely. Um, but we promised to be quick. So yep. scooting along, um, Okta is joining the Cool Kids Club and has a fund. Yep. Okta has a new fund called Okta Ventures, $50 million fund. They're going to essentially invest in startups in their ecosystem, startups they've already partnered with and who they want to see grow. However, their first investment was actually in a blockchain startup, which is not... Excuse me? Yeah. You know, blockchain's hot. They just... Is it though? Is it still hot? N no. No. That's true. Yeah. Well, it was hot. And, and it, what do you... I mean, not to be... It's Okta Ventures. I mean, I don't... <laughs> I don't even know. I think there was a lot of diss in that sentence. I was go I, yeah, I kind of I kind of reverted, but um they did invest in a company called Trusted Key. Um Okay. Uh I'm not going I don't know exactly, but I don't remember what it does. I'm sorry, but 
what we wanted to point out wasn't just that yeah. Okta itself has a fund, which is neat. $15 million isn't a huge bucket of money, but of course their ecosystem isn't as big as Microsoft's, for example. But there's been a number of other corporate venture capital rounds that um, that we've noticed, and we kind of want to call it a couple of those deals. And at one point to Natasha on my team for covering this for me over the last couple of weeks, but recently... Intel Capital announced they had put $117 million into 14 different startups, kind of one big announcement. Um, Chevron put together a $90 million fund, which I thought was weird. Uh, Chipotle has an accelerator now, but it's through the Chipotle Foundation of some variety, so they can't give out actual money. That is so funny. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Chipotle, not good food. Maybe it's good startups. Who knows? Um, Starbucks has a fund, and there's other funds in the pipeline, according to you, Kate. And so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of surprised at how much we're seeing in this window of time. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, do you think, how much impact do you think these funds have? Like $50 million is not a lot for a fund. Um, they want to invest in like 10 companies like in one year. Do you think that they will have a big impact on their ecosystem? They could. I mean, mm-hmm. all you need to do is increase the, the flow of companies inside your space to drive more adoption of your product, to make it more useful, to provide more value. So if you're Okta, this is probably a pretty efficient way to make your overall product environment better. Um, I like it. Are, are we saying Okta right Okta. Is it Okta? I don't know, but I I do know that I've said it wrong before. Okay, so I'm sorry if we said it wrong. I think I I think the blame. No, I Okta. Well, (laughs) if it's not Okta, it should be Okta because that's how it's spelled. Okay, well, um, let's move on. Now we have to get to some actual topics. We've already (laughs) wasted a lot of time. Sorry, that wasn't as fast as we thought (laughs) it was going to be. Turns out we can't really shut up. But uh, Kate (laughs) is going to talk us through. Uh, a very important story this week from another uh, oddly named fund, which is A16Z or Andreessen Horowitz. And they are the cover story this week, if you will. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Yeah, so for Forbes, and if you follow VC, you probably read the story. Forbes did this great cover story on Andreessen Horowitz and some changes going on at this firm, which is one of the most well-known and most successful firms in the world. So... What they've done is they've decided to give up their status as a VC firm, and they've registered all of their 150 employees, investors, financial advisors. So basically, they're doing this, and this is a quote from the story, to go deeper on riskier bets if the firm wants to put $101 billion into cryptocurrencies or buy unlimited shares in public companies or from other investors, they can. So VCs have typically have these agreements with their limited partners that puts a 20% cap on these risky activities like public markets, purchasing shares in the public markets, you know, buying a ton of cryptocurrency or issuing debt to fund buyouts um, or acquiring equity through secondary transactions. So so by registering themselves as a financial advisor, they're giving themselves a lot more freedom to make these bets, which is essentially just diversification. But they're also telling their future LPs by doing this that we are going to they are going to take a more aggressive tack. They are not going to be constrained by traditional venture capital risk profiles. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to infinity and beyond. Yeah, so I mean it it'll be interesting to like actually watch and see how they how they change and if whether they do behave differently or if this is just a little bit more of a symbolic gesture that's interest in taking a stand and saying, "Hey, like we're still the most innovative. We're still the <laughs> riskiest." Cuz they, you know, years ago, they became the first big firm that would provide services to their portfolio companies as well as capital. So Back in the day, you know, VCs gave you money, but they didn't necessarily help you with PR, or help you with, you know, building your product, like giving you these advisory services that, I mean, looking back, it seems crazy they didn't do that. But now most firms do. So Andreessen was sort of took the lead there. And this either is truly meaningful and we'll see it play out as being something like very significant or it's just a little bit more of a, hey, like we're still 
the coolest guys on the block. Well, Andreessen, as leader of the pack, if you will, came in a number of different ways because they also raised bigger funds than anyone else. I recall when Andreessen did their first billion-dollar fund, it was almost kind of a joke. Everyone thought, how the hell are you going to return 3 to 5 to 6x on a billion dollars? Are there enough exits in the world to power that? Now the Vision Fund wants another $15 billion on top of the 100. We're not actually going to get to that today. That's just a data point. So Andreessen kicked off a wave in the broader capital landscape, and they also changed venture in the services way that Kate mentioned. Here, they're almost leaving the farm altogether and walking their own path. They'll still do. So they say. Well, so yeah. I, it's, and it's hard. I don't know. You know, I haven't seen this happen before. I don't know what it's going to mean. But another thing interesting to point out is that Andreessen, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, 150 people, is massive. It's like a company, not a firm, which a lot of VC firms are like eight people. So this is, it's <laughs> yeah. and just um, a couple months ago, Andreessen hired their 15th general partner. They have the most general partners of any firm. That's a, t- I mean, 15 general partners. That's like, that could be, 15 VC firms. That's a football team. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, <laughs> Is it? It's, well, I don't know, actually. Don't know. You need like 10 people on the field? I, I have played, no idea. I haven't played since seventh grade, and that was some time ago. <laughs> Anyways, 15 GPs is a lot of GPs. It's a lot of GPs. And okay, let's see. There's also just a few things uh, I want to pull out from the story, as well as the big news, which was that they became a financial advisor. They're in the process of raising a $2 billion fund, I think uh, at max $2.5 billion. They, uh, there's a really interesting bit in there. I don't know if you read it, but uh, how they missed out on Uber. I did? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people missed out on Uber, but apparently they came very close to leading around and they had a valuation. They wanted to discount the valuation and Uber was like, I mean, it was Travis. So Did Travis say no to that? Travis, I'm shocked. Uber walked away. Yeah. Went to a, um, went to a Menlo Ventures who had been just um, offering higher valuations. Yeah. Though. And Menlo Ventures did uh, pretty dang well. If I recall the numbers that we're talking about, like a, I think 100x or something on that investment, something crazy like that. Um, But we should be fair to other players in the now former venture capital space because I think General Catalyst is also moving towards this model of being financial advisors. And I would be very surprised if we did not see other people do this as well because if Andreessen's going to go and take the gloves off, you can't afford to play with gloves on because you know they're going to go out there, they're going to push harder. You need to keep up because you're going to be compared to their returns. You can't avoid the comparison. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be this thing where all the firms start doing it and it's like this really big story in 2019 where all the venture capital firms became financial advisors, but in seven years or five years we look back and nothing's different. Well, I mean, we had capital as a service that came and went. We had the... That's still... That's still happening. I mean, that's that, like what that, ClearBank's doing, basically. Well, right. But I mean, just in the social capital sense. Right. And, uh, and, and that Oh, too. and actually, I should say, social capital is an investor in ClearBank. Oh, well, they, oh, they outsourced their model. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. That's one way to do it. I wish I could outsource doing the show. Like, Chris, you want to you take on? Um, <laughs> but we've also heard other things that, that have gone big in the financing space and then gone, gone kaput. Like ICOs were like the hot thing that were going to take over VC for like 18 minutes. And now they're down to effectively zero. Um, stable coins, the same thing. So these new innovations come up, but venture capital has proved durable since the 80s. Mm-hmm. And that's a shocking amount of time for one uh, kind of approach to capital to persist, even throughout all the change that happened. So maybe this is the future. Maybe it's just Andreessen uh, being Andreessen Horowitz, you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to to everyone's favorite company. Kate, do you want to talk more about Lyft? Do I want to talk more about Lyft? No, I don't, but I will. Okay, fair um, enough. <laughs> I, I seem seem to not be able to escape Lyft conversations. Like everywhere I go, even in Uber rides with Uber drivers, they're like, what do you think of Lyft stock? Uh, I don't have an opinion, yeah, really. Like, I and, don't know anything about that. And the market doesn't either because it's almost back to its IPO price after yeah. some fascinating gyrations because uh, I think as we reported on the last equity shot, the shares were up. They opened at 87.24, went public at 72. It looked like 
ba-bam, a fantastic, you know, introduction to public markets. But then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. It, like, I think when we recorded that shot, it was up 20%, big IPO pop. We're like, wow, look at it go. It's since dropped down quite a bit. Um, though today it's actually hovering around, It's like you just mentioned, it's hovering around its IPO price. I know you think now the the IPO is priced very, very well. Yeah. Can I, should I explain why yeah, I think you that? Should. Okay. So they had an initial range of 62 to $68 a share, if I remember correctly. They raised that up to 70 to 72 which is a pretty tight IPO range, really. It's not uncommon to see raised ranges be a bit more narrow, but that's what they were shooting for. They got exactly the top of that, 72 And then on the first day, they looked a bit underpriced if you are conservative about IPO pops, which is the first day jump on a um, on a new offering. But to have them drop down to like 66 67 and then come back to 72 roughly shows that the market's balancing out, at least as far as we can tell, right around the IPO price, which means they raised about every single dollar they could in their IPO. They didn't leave a lot of money on the table. In fact, it looks like they left none. Um, And so if you are in the mood to raise money and Lyft consumes tons of cash, as we've discussed, they did very well. Yeah, I just want to give you credit because we um, debated this last week, I think, when uh, we were talking about IPO pricing and I was like, they're leaving money on the table. And you were like, they're not leaving any money on the table. You were right. So So this is the first time either one of us have been right on equity in like that's months. true. So, so, I mean, at least one of us has a good track record. Um, well, one out of 45 versus zero out of 45 <laughs> is not exactly... I'm going to get something. I'll have all my predictions right about the Uber IPO. Actually, here's one prediction. I think they're going to file not next week, but the week after. They're going to drop their S1. So that would be the week of the 12th, I think? E- uh, no. Can we calendar that? It's April 4th right now. It is April 4th. So the Week el- of the 6th... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is why people put calendars on the wall. Sadly, in the TC studio, there is not a calendar on the wall. So the third week of April. Yes. Okay. Whenever that so is. So if I'm right, then um, good for me. I want to throw one more thing on the Lyft uh, mm-hmm. barbecue before we move on, which is that this uh, is less bullish for other unicorns than it was. When Lyft had a 20% pop, given its growth and losses, it seemed to bode well for high burn unicorns. Now that it's come back a bit, it's slightly less bullish. It is still, I think, overall a bullish debut for the company. And I want to also add one thing, please, just to explain why there's been a lot of volatility. Um, a lot of people are shorting Lyft stock because they think that it's going to continue falling. So it's just, I mean, that's... I, the, I think doesn't feel like a lot of people are actually talking about why it's volatile, but you know, it's just reading before we taped that they're shorting more than 38% of the shares. Yes. So there are a lot of people that are going in and like just betting against the stock, which is good for them because they get a profit when the stock falls, but it's not good for Lyft. No, or any other unicorn that wants to go public. I mean, Lyft is really carrying the flag right now for everybody, for better or for worse. But that's just kind of who the standard bearer is today. Yeah. So, you know, people are betting against them. But anyway, let's move on. Um, Alex, I know you're really, really, really excited about Jumia's IPO. So tell us, um, what is Jumia and what's what's going on with their S1? So I hadn't heard of Jumia, which is an embarrassing moment. When a company goes public, I, you know, and they're in the tech space, I should have heard of them before, is my general rule of thumb. This is an S1 that I literally opened cold and thought, okay, who Open is this? Cold. <laughs> Maybe I could find a better phrase for that. But <laughs> I, I had no context going in. And it turns out Jumia is a company that's been around for some time. They are, in, in a sense, kind of the Amazon of Africa. They do uh, e-commerce and they do logistics and they do last mile deliveries. And they're a super fascinating company that is growing pretty, pretty quickly. They grew um, 38.9% from 2017 to 2018, ending up with 130.6 million euro in revenue for that year. Sadly, they're also wildly unprofitable. They lost 170.4 million euro that year. Um, and that's the, a phrase loss for the year as opposed to net loss, which is an interesting way to approach reporting gap numbers. But, uh, 
it's a really cool company. And I, I just feel like we should do more on, on this show about international companies. We get a little bit too caught up in literally what's in Soma where we are. Wait, and, that's true. I mean, like, cause the Brex signs, sorry, not the Brex signs. It was also Brex signs. The, um, there are a lot of Brex signs. Oh man, that is, that's bad. Um, um the rippling signs yes. that I was discussing are also out and around in Soma. Uh, Brex famously did that before. Rippling's now also doing Yeah. It. I mean, I walk past Pinterest's office every day. My walk home. It's all just right here. So well, that's that's like a block and a half from the office here. They, yeah. that, their new building they built. Have you well, gone? no, it's not. That's not done yet. They're just building it, right? I thought they were done. Oh, with they it. are. I have no idea. I've been to their. Th- th- okay, they're done. Our yeah. producer's nodding. They're done. Because they, they opened I the coffee they were shop. They're building in there. it. Okay. If you walk by it every day on your way home, how do you not oh, know that it's done? Am I thinking about Lyft building a new office? I think somebody else is also building a new office. We're, we're gonna keep. We're gonna keep. We're gonna keep. <laughs> we're not gonna cut that. We're gonna keep that. Okay. If you can't hear me now, we've been censored. <laughs> Anyways, the important thing is that we need to pay more attention to the international markets and not just our neck of the woods. And so I, what I wanted to do was ask people to email us. I'm Alex at Crunchbase.com and you are? Kate.Clark at TechCrunch.com. So if you are in, I don't know, Ireland or if you're in somewhere in Africa or you're in somewhere in Southeast Asia or wherever you are, if you're in Russia, I don't know. Send us an email if you think that your local market is popping because we would love to learn more about the world. We do our best to read international news and look at international rounds, but we are based here and that means we're a little bit blind. So please let us know what's up um, so we can make equity bigger and better and bolder and badder over time. And that brings us to everyone's favorite last topic of the day. Uh, Kate, can you tell me about the Midas list? That's another thing that I always mispronounced because I think I was saying Midas. Okay, so Midas. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, the uh, along with this big story in Andreessen, um, Forbes came out with their annual Midas list where they rank the top 100 venture capitalists by um, basically like predicting exits. And it's it's ranked by how much money they're bringing in. But they don't actually know because these say you're an investor in Uber. You don't know exactly what it's going to go public at. You don't know exact or, you know, there are other ex- um, examples like late stage, com- late stage companies that will presumably IPO or be acquired. And they sort of look at the valuations and maybe add a little more there and that's how they determine it but um you know we're just going to talk about it for a second a lot of people think it's very stupid a lot of people think it's meaningless alex is raising his hand but i mean as i was just telling alex before we recorded some people are quite devastated when they don't make this list i'm not i don't feel bad for them by any means but i'm just saying it's, it's interesting because i um never paid attention to it before and i frankly haven't even read through it this year because it doesn't matter to me so some people take the midas list very seriously and were very upset um not to be on it um others of course, celebrated being on it. Um, I think the general consensus is like VCs will say it doesn't matter, but then they pay. They it absolutely matters to them. I mean, what are you? What are your thoughts? Well, it's a bit like authors who claim to not read reviews. Like I don't believe you. I mean, you do do this, but also yeah, I I think the easy sarcastic way to approach this is, oh no, the rich people didn't get as high on their list as they they otherwise would have wanted to. But at the same time, we are seeing a change in the venture capital landscape. And Aaron Griffith wrote about this for the New York Times. The other, I think last week in a post entitled, Hey mom, look at me, I'm a VC. And it was a discussion about how VCs are being a lot more PR conscious and a lot more image focused because you can't just have money and have that be unique enough to attract top level deal flow. So to me, this is uh, probably a more important list than it used to be given the criticalness of profile, if you will. Right. And, you know, this isn't the only list that ranks VCs. CB Insights also does one. And so has Crunchbase thought about doing that or do they? I absolutely will never do that. Uh, well, not Crunchbase News, but maybe Crunchbase. Oh, I don't know what they're going to do, but Crunchbase News will not because VCs are rich and don't need to be fetted by me. Yeah, I would absolutely never do that either. Also, you have to talk to them all the time and that would just be tedious. 
Sorry, yeah, everybody. I, I do mean, feel like, bad for the people who have to actually put these lists together because I can't imagine it's, it's an particularly rewarding. Yeah, it is enormous amount of work, and like more power to them for doing this. Yes, and it's, it's, a, it's a great bit. Of, it's a good bit of journalism they do, and I yes. think it is useful to the community. And I don't want to make too much fun of it, but also it is VCs, so a little bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's equity for this week, everyone. Thank you for sticking around. Kate, great to be back in the studio. Good to see you. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hey, Kate, what's this extra crunch thing I keep hearing all about? Extra Crunch gives you access to in-depth coverage on how startups become successful, challenges facing the startup community, enhanced reader tools on TechCrunch.com, member-only conference calls, and more. Sign up today by visiting TechCrunch.com slash subscribe. But honestly, guys, you should definitely be signing up for Extra Crunch. There's tons of amazing content on the site. I, for example, wrote a deep dive on the fertility industry and the VCs and founders that are leading that new sector. If you haven't signed up for Extra Crunch yet, all new members receive a free trial. And even better, if you're an annual member, you receive discounts to TechCrunch events like TechCrunch Disrupt. Enter the promo code EQUITY to save 20% on an annual membership plan. Again, that's TechCrunch.com slash subscribe. Select the annual plan and enter the promo code EQUITY. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, And we will see you all right here next week. Uh, and that is Equity for the Week, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us. We will be back uh, for episode like 121 next week, give or take, Kate. 121? I think that's next week. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> What's 121? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Because we had at the very top episode 120. I don't think I said it, though. <laughs> <laughs>